So Money Episode 207 with Shannon McClay. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest has a really interesting story. She is a woman after my own heart, helping young professionals navigate debt while teaching financial independence and what it really means truly to be financially fit. Shannon McClay is a financial planner who left a stable job at a traditional financial services firm, you know it well, called Merrill Lynch. And she left there to start her own company called The Financial Gym. She felt that all traditional financial services firms did not offer the right kind of tools or resources to assist young people in their 20s and 30s who are just looking to build their assets while also managing debt. Shannon believes that the key to long-term personal finance success is commitment to financial fitness and making smart financial choices. And through her company, as well as her blog, Financially Blonde, and her first book, which is called Train Your Way to Financial Fitness, oh, and her podcast, Martinis and Your Money, Shannon is covering all platforms platforms so that financial fitness can be fun, easy, and accessible to all. And by the way, you can tune into her podcast each Friday once a week to hear more from her. Now, lots of takeaways from our interview with Shannon, including the risks that she took to leave her job at Merrill and start her own company, how she's going about raising capital to grow her financial planning business, and as she says, she would like someday to do for the financial planning world what H&R Block has done for accounting services. And also, interesting for you, how to win a free signed copy of Shannon's book, Train Your Way to Financial Fitness. Shannon is giving away five free copies. So without further ado, here is our guest, Shannon McClay. Shannon McClay, welcome to So Money. So great to hear your voice. We've always been email correspondents. Now we are voice to voice. I know. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Shannon, you are a a true leader in the personal finance space. Uh, I mean, obviously, credentials aside, you're also just so entrepreneurial. I first connected with you when I was researching how to write an ebook, and I gave a keynote at FinCon last year about how to write a book and then uh, take the book on to become really a platform for you and your business and your brand. And you have so successfully and independently published your own book, as well as, of course, your blog, and you have a podcast, and uh, your company, The Financial Gym, is, is on fire. So where to start? Let's start with the risks that you took to get to where you are. I think that's always interesting for listeners and for myself to hear about your vulnerable moments, mm-hmm. right? Now you're doing well and you're growing, but you, it wasn't always the case. You were very fearful of what was on the other side. You had a very great job at Merrill Lynch and then you left. So take us back to that time in your life when you were at this job, perhaps unhappy, and how you got the courage to leave. Absolutely. Well, yes, like you said, I was working as a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch doing very well. I was in 
all the top ranks in in New York and um, everybody's really excited for me at, at the company and I was excited to grow my business. And while I was growing my business of working with high net worth individuals, people who had more than $250,000 in assets, I said that I kept meeting what I call my pro bono clients. So the, these were clients who would come to me through friends, family, however the connection was, because they wanted financial help and they didn't fit the Merrill Lynch client model. But I made a policy of meeting and talking to anybody who came to me, so I didn't care. So I would sit down and meet with them and they just had a completely different set of needs than what I could handle for them at Merrill Lynch. So for example, I remember one of my first client meetings, um, she said she needed a financial planner. She was a 26-year-old attorney. I said, sounds great. Let's sit down. And she said, okay, I've got $250,000 of student loan debt. And I make $55,000 a year. I also have some credit card debt. And this, this is a whole laundry list of things that she she had going on. And I sat there and thought, oh my God, I have no idea how to help her because I can't put her things into a wealth management model that I had at Merrill Lynch. But, but she had a real need and it was something different and, and I wanted to help her. So I kind of on the side was creating this plan for her. And then I had my second client was another one. She had $15,000 to invest. And for her, that was a lot of money. She was, again, 20, she was around 28, an engineer working in New York. So she was so excited. She had $15,000. And I was excited for her at, at Merrill Lynch. No one would be excited. I mean, no one's excited for anybody in the financial world of $15,000. That's not, they don't get a lot of attention. So people like my pro bonos don't get a lot of attention. And they just kept coming to me and it reached the point where the idea of the financial gym came to me and it was about three years ago. And it was after I, I had lost 50 pounds after having my son on Weight Watchers. So I view a lot of money and uh, physical and financial um, goals very similarly. And I just started to see these clients needing help kind of more, not financial planning, but financial training. So the idea of the financial gym came to me about three years ago where people could go and get and stay financially fit and get their assets and gear and things like that. And I, I thought th there needs to be a place for my pro bonos because there's more of them than people with $250,000 in assets. Yeah. This whole time you're talking, I'm thinking in my head, you know, this industry of quote unquote wealth management is mm -hmm. completely ostracizing a generation Oh yeah, you know. I, are, 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 do, do you, I mean you, you've now been well, gone from the financial services industry, the behemoth that is Merrill Lynch, for some time now? But you have your ear to the ground. Do you see that tra changing? I mean, yeah, there's now there's there's people like you, and there's uh, you know um, robo advisors and Learnvest that are a little more uh, aware of what's happening in terms of wealth in, <laughs> in this country. Yeah. Um, but what's going to happen to these bigger players? Are they going to ultimately have to change their model or are they just going to stick to finding those clients that are earning a quarter of a million or more or have a net worth of a million or more? I think they're going to stick to their model until they're forced to not. Uh, having worked for a large um, bank industry, I, I think they, they really, they're not in any kind of... Um, they're not in any kind of rush to change anything. That's not how they run. They're, they're, they generate enough business from what they have. And it's sad for me because, you, like you said, I mean, there's the, the LearnVest or the robo-advisors, but 
but that all goes back to the same thing. It's just this kind of cookie cutter. Here's our low level generic way to help you build your wealth. Good luck when you get it. When you get to a certain point, we'll talk to you. You'll actually have someone talk to you. And what's so frustrating about that and it's frustrating for my clients and frustrating for me is that People need more than just a robo solution. You know, I actually get a lot of clients from LearnVest because they were frustrated in the fact that they didn't really have a dedicated person. So they said, I need more of a hands-on, somebody to hold my hand through this. And, and literally, it is financial training. Just like a personal trainer would get you to the gym and make you do your sit-ups and push-ups and whatever, that's what I do for my clients. And I'm a real person doing it. And some people do the online you know, robo thing very well, or you just give them a roadmap and they're off to the races, but that doesn't fit everybody. There are people who need to have their, somebody hold their hand, somebody to force them to, somebody to hold them accountable. And, and there's just not, there's not something like that out there. There hasn't been. I'm on the site right now. Very easy to use. You can pick your date on a calendar, pick a service provider. How are you scaling this? Uh, You know, is this something that you're offering Anyone across the country? How does it? How does? It, how much does it cost? What do you get? So I'm excited because I one of the the big things that happened for me this year is I got my first large investor to help take this bigger. So the last few years after leaving Merrill Lynch, I've proven the model works, proven that people will pay for this type of service, and and it works. So now that I have um, the money to build it out, with I am in the process of building it out. The first location is in. New York. And so it's a physical location. There's plans to open more gyms and and retail franchise like H&R Block. But while that process is happening, there is, um, I do work and my team works um, with via um, phone, Skype or or Google Hangout with our clients who are not here physically. And, um, and so it, it is, it's scalable. I have, the great thing is I have part-time um, trainers and full-time trainers. And so as the, as the client base grows, then, then so will the company. And, uh, and I'm just excited that, um, that people have this option. And the great thing is our plans start at, um, well, first of all, you can join classes at just like you would take a spin class or whatever, like soul cycles, something like that. There'll be, there's classes at the gym and there'll be um, different challenges and trainings and people can win awards and stuff for their, you know, most improved kind of thing. And it'll be, the classes are a great community. So that's a cheap way if you're in the tri-state area to come join the classes in New York. And as far as working one-on-one with a financial trainer, the packages there start at $250, which I think is really reasonable for for most people. And we make it work for, you know, how our clients can pay. And the great thing is because I've been doing this the last two years and proving that the model works and, and figuring out how to work with every type of client. Um, I have a 90% success rate of my clients achieving their financial goals. So, um, I'm just really excited you know, most of all my clients say that, you know, the investment they make in their financial training time is always worth it. I see you're also working with Stephanie O'Connell, who's a friend of So Money. We've had her on the show. She is a millennial finance writer, author of The Broke and Beautiful Life. Does Stephanie help your clients mostly with like budgeting and saving aspects of their of their financial plan? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People need all different kinds of financial help beyond the wealth management side. And, and you know the term financial fitness. We love financial fitness. And that's the way to think about it is that people need different kinds of help, just like 
you know, if you're, you're trying to lose weight, somebody who's trying to lose weight is going to be on a different kind of physical plan than somebody who's trying to build muscle. You know, so That's there's different kinds of help that people need from a financial trainer. And Stephanie is great with, with lifestyle and budgeting and, um, and working with people on that. That's a big part of getting people financially fit is helping them with, with their managing their lifestyle. Really. You mentioned uh, that you've raised capital. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you do this? Uh, (laughs) Take us behind the scenes a little bit. I mean, where do people find investors for their ideas? It's not easy. Um, And let me tell you what, nobody wants to be the first one in. Uh, Nobody. So three years ago, I left or I had the idea. Two years ago, I left Merrill Lynch and started the model. And then last November, I really realized there's something to this. It needs to be taken bigger and I need the money to do it because I was just kind of at my what's end. So I put the business plan together, started talking to friends and family. I mean, that's really the first place to go is is through, to, through your network. And I just actually blogged about it, the power of networking, because what's amazing is I've been on this journey with my company for two years, but my first investor is actually a former mentor of mine, current mentor of mine from when I worked at Bank of America. And I met him nine years ago. And nine years ago, we developed our, our mentor relationship and we've stayed close ever since as I've left the company or come back or worked in different environments. And we just always stayed close. And when I um, caught up with him at the beginning of the year, we were talking about it. And I said, the great part about networking and keeping in touch with people, I'm just one of those people who loves people. So it's easy for me to keep up with people, especially um, mentors or people that, that help me uh, help me personally and professionally. But um, the great part about it is that it's not as scary of a sell when somebody already knows you. So when he, um, it's a funny story, he actually left the company and we were talking about what was happening with him and he was expecting a payout in February from different things from the company. And he's like, so what do you think I should do with my money? And because I know him so long, I was like, well, I know this great little financial startup that's helping change the lives of millennials and other people. And and he just kind of started laughing and he said, okay, yeah, he's like, I want to hear more. Um, I actually really do think, I, you know, I want to help you and, and support you. And, and I was like, okay. So I said, I walked out of that meeting. I literally walked out, uh, got in my car. He lives in New Jersey. And I cried for probably the 45 minute drive home because it's amazing to think about the nine year journey and, and how that led. And I never would have thought that he would have been the person to do that. And, um, and he said to me, he's like, I, I'm going to give you the money and it's because I believe in you and I know you. And, (laughs) and I talked I actually said this on my podcast last week. I said, it would have been better for me because it's so hard to hear positive reinforcement sometimes, which is crazy. But it almost would have been better for me if he said I, it, my idea was awful or he hated me. You know, like I could have handled that. <laughs> but, but here <laughs> Now you're like, like, oh my God, I have to actually do this business. And yeah, then- I was like, oh my God, you believe in me? And oh. and it was so overwhelming to have somebody say that. And and but you know it, it's it was huge and it, that was nine years in the making was my my first investor and um, and now you know I'm still looking for for more investor money but having the first one in it is the biggest monkey off my back definitely. I mean congratulations and also you have quite the accountability partner now. Yes, <laughs> actually though he's the best. He's the best. He's like I you know I have faith in you. 
do your thing. Keep, you know, keep me posted if you want. But again, that's part of the great thing of, of networking, keeping in touch with people. They just know you're nine years. He knows me for nine years and my track record. And, um, and so it, I, I don't have, as opposed to just somebody who, who just met me going through the whole venture capital process, they don't really know you. This is a, this is a different kind of investor, which is great. So lesson to everyone listening, if you're working anywhere you're working, whoever you're meeting, all your relationships, it's important to leave lasting impressions because you never know when they're going to be your lifeboat. You never know. Amazing story. Well, uh, you mentioned you have a podcast. We should also mention you have a book called Train Your Way to Financial Success, your first book. Uh, Your podcast is called Martinis and Your Money. Yes, living a better life one cocktail at a time. I love that. Do you actually drink <laughs> during the podcast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, what's really funny for me, and you, you appreciate this because you talk to people all over the country, and what's funny to me is when I'll schedule a call during the day with somebody, and it's you know maybe 1 o'clock my time, and it's like 10 o'clock their time, and they'll, t- they'll text me a picture like, all right, I'm ready to go, and it's a martini, or it's like a drink, and I was like, oh, okay, like, Excellent. five o'clock somewhere, You're like, I don't judge, it's great. <laughs> Those uh, are usually the more fun episodes. <laughs> you know, I, uh, hmm, it's, it's, it's fodder, it's interesting. Might have <laughs> I think to money is way more interesting when you, oh, yeah, you, when you have a relax. few drinks. Yeah. And I'm not promoting alcohol, maybe it's a, you know, a, a virgin daiquiri, um, oh, yeah. Just something to have to enjoy as you're talking about something that could otherwise be pretty dry and boring. Well, I, I modeled my podcast after my life because I've been working in financial services for 13 years and I've had client relationships for as long. And I always say that I'm, you know, people say you build um, your network and especially in the guy's world of finance on the golf course. And I can never play golf, but I said I built mine at the bar. So I <laughs> hang out a lot with my clients at bars or, you know, in different social settings or whatever. And and so it's really modeled after the conversations we have over, you know, hanging out at the bar. And um, and, and some great, fantastic dialogue happens. And um, so oh, that's yeah. where I modeled my podcast. Dialogue for sure. your book train your way to financial fitness uh we want to give five free copies away to listeners signed copies to qualify uh, or to enter rather to win one of these copies go to somoneypodcast.com click on shannon's podcast and in the comment section leave a comment and we will follow up with you if you are one of the first five. So, Shannon, what is your financial philosophy, if you had to distill it? My financial philosophy is that anybody can get and stay financially fit, and anybody can live the life that they want to live. It's just a matter of how much time and energy you're willing to put into it. And I think what's really fascinating is that I see this all the time with my clients. They expect to have their money situation change and they're not really doing anything about it. And I said, you know, when I was 50 pounds overweight, I wanted to lose 50 pounds. But if I didn't go to the gym and I didn't change what I was eating and I didn't make an active effort toward that physical goal, I wasn't going to make it. And it's the same thing with your money. Uh, people expect their money situation to change, but if they don't change anything that they're doing, then it, they're just going to keep staying where they are. How much of your conversation with clients is centered around 
the goal. Because my feeling is that, yes, you need to develop good habits, get off your butt and save money or go to the gym as it is. Uh, but you have to have a, a goal in mind, right? You can't just mm -hmm. save money to save money or lose weight to lose weight. Although I could lose weight to lose weight because I like the feeling. <laughs> they say that uh, feeling thin is nothing tastes better as feeling thin feels or something yes. like that. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. As skinny feels. Thank you. Uh -huh. But, um, and certainly having money in the bank feels good, but to keep yourself motivated, you need to feel as though there's something, some rainbow at the end of this. And yes. so what, what tends to be the rainbow for your clients? You bring up a great point, Farnoosh, because I see this all the time. My clients who have very specific goals have the most success, success than my clients who have general, um, generic goals and, and, or especially goals that are longer term because they're just so hard to see and feel like a retirement goal for somebody who's 25 is just ridiculous. I mean, that's double their lifetime away. That's just not anywhere in their day-to-day -day life. And so, um, so what I do actually specifically for my clients is, you know, most of them have goals and most of them have specific goals, but the ones that don't, we really actually try to create the goal and solidify the goal for them. So, uh, for example, I had this, this one couple and they've, They've actually achieved a few of their goals already. And the next goal they had is they have is buying a home, but that's probably like two to five years away, which is near-ish term. But I know that two to five years is, is, is a long time in, in the grand scheme of things. So I said, what are we going to do if we, so we set specific targets for them. And I said, what are we going to do? How are you going to reward yourself if you hit this goal? by let's say April like what are you going to do because we need to create like an April goal like somewhere in the middle and they both have been wanting to go to do a Napa trip go out to the west coast they live here in New York and so we specifically created a goal around this trip that was going to be um, their reward for achieving their other goals and now they're motivated so they have the house goal they're working on and that's everything we're doing is going to lead to the house goal but we created a nearer term goal to keep them focused on the day-to-day -day stuff that they're doing I love that don't just focus on retirement you got to have intermediate and, and near-term very near-term goals like preferably the next six months I think that's key Exactly. My clients with the, the more the near the goals is number one, but then actually the closer they are to goals, the more committed they are to the process. What is a pivotal money memory of yours that happened during childhood or maybe even a little bit later on in life, but it was one of your most uh, just pivotal moments in terms of teaching you great lessons about money? I think for me, it was when I started working, I um, I did the babysitting thing like a lot of young uh, preteen girls do, and but I was never really into the babysitting thing like some of my friends were. And I was with my mom. We walked into this bagel store one day. I was 14, and there was a help wanted sign in the window. And I literally walked up to the guy who worked behind the counter. I said, you know, would you consider hiring me? And... Um, and he did, and he actually lived in the town I lived in, but he said, well, we're only hiring somebody for the 6 to 2 shift, so 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And my mom said, well, I'm not driving you, so <laughs> good luck. You know, I'm not waking up at 5.30 to take you to work. And he said, I, I'll come get you every morning if you will commit to working. And I said, 
let's do this. So I started at 14 working six, the six to two shift at the bagel store. And I had that job through college. And that guy behind the counter is actually one of my really great friends. And it was like a brother to me. And he picked me up literally every morning and um, took me to work and drove me home. And it was that first job that really changed changed me and, and my whole philosophy. I was a hard worker in school, but it was my first time really being a hard worker in another capacity. And I loved making money. I loved being self-sufficient. And, um, and so I was, I did the, the job on the weekends, school and plays and activities and all that other stuff. And it really just created the me I am today that I can be entrepreneurial. I work seven days a week and I have this work ethic really that started from that first job. I can really relate to that story because as soon as I could work, I wanted to work. And it's, I think it's something in your DNA or, or it's, it, it is in you, this desire to be self-sufficient. And I like the idea at that, even at that young age of being accountable to something other than just my schoolwork and my chores mm-hmm. that I could do something and be rewarded financially. Um, do you remember being influenced by anyone growing up to feel that way or that was just some sort of voice in your head or feeling that you had that was uh that was very natural I think it well it, my for me it was mostly out of need I grew up where my family was did not have that much money we were um we, I grew up in a HUD home in New York and there were five kids and my mom I joke, my mom worked three jobs. My stepfather had two jobs. We used to joke that, you know, we were like that. There was a, um, in Living Color used to be the show that was on. And there was this skit that was like, everybody had all these jobs. And we joked (laughs) that that was our family. We all had multiple jobs. And, and that really, it was really more out of need. So if I wanted a, you know, a new outfit or something, or if I wanted to go to the school dance, you know, I always got the, we don't have the money for that. So, um, so I, by working, I, I was able to, to do that. And it's funny because now my mom will say, you know, she's like, I always feel bad that I didn't give you more, that you had to work for the things that you wanted. And I always tell her that was the greatest gift you yes. gave me. Really. Yes. You have no idea, but you gave, you gave me that gift by not giving me gifts. So oh, wow. I, I appreciated it. Uh, gosh, if Tony Robbins were here, he'd be so proud of you. <laughs> thinking that way because certainly others would think I had nothing therefore I amounted to nothing and uh and as a parent too you 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 know you feel guilty or you feel bad that you weren't able to provide at least the physical things and but you were so appreciative and so smart that you realized there was an even bigger gift here which was an opportunity to learn how to become independent sooner than later it's something I struggle with now as a parent because I have a nine-year-old son and, and my husband grew up the same way I did and we both appreciate how we, where we came from and we have this struggle now because we do have the means to, to give him what we didn't have but we also appreciate the lessons we have so um, it's, a, it's a struggle I have in a reverse way now as a parent but, um, but I do this, we do the same thing for him. He started, we started working him on money at five and he has now so proud of him. He's got a thousand dollars invested. We just opened up an investment account for him this year. And I say he's the most financially fit person I know because um, we've just been working on him, but he has to, from an early age, he had to buy things. You know, he did, we don't, if we would, 
you know, we buy him his essentials, but if he wants an extra pair of sneakers or the extra things, he has to pay for that himself. And it's funny. It's interesting seeing a nine-year-old, you know, it's, they're excited about something until they realize it's coming from their bank and right. not the bank of mom and dad. And all of a sudden it changes. But I see it with him, though. He knows that he's provided for. He knows he's loved. He doesn't need the stuff. And I tell this to clients all the time. Kids actually need our time more than our money and our gifts. And, and that's really what you have to focus on. Yes. As Ron Lieber says, as he's been on the show, New York Times financial uh, contributor and also the author of, um, I forget the name of the book, but essentially it's about how to unspoil your kids. But he says that the only, the only great thing that you can really spoil your kids with that's not really going to boomerang in a bad way is your time. Mm-hmm. Spoiling your kids with your time is is always a good thing. Yes, agreed. As you have been working in the financial space, I don't expect that you have made a lot of mistakes, but I am curious. Oh, I've made a ton. Okay, oh my good. gosh. Oh <laughs> my gosh. First of all, yeah, everybody lives in a glass glass house financially. I don't care who you are. So <laughs> none of us should be throwing stones. Uh, so tell us what's one major money mistake and what you learned from it. So I, for me, I have a number of them and I, I have a financial background, but just because I had a finance degree and I worked in finance didn't mean I knew personal finance. And one of the biggest issues that I faced, um, was actually not too long ago. It was about four years ago. We were planning on sending my son to one school for kindergarten and, we were, and if he was going to this one school, we wouldn't need to buy a home. We were saving up to buy a home, but we um, were planning on sending him to this school and we wouldn't need to move for another three to four years after that. So we didn't have you know, as much saved as we wanted to buy this home. Well, my son had issues at the school. It was a bad story and um, we, we had family drama and ultimately we were, were looking to buy a home earlier than we were planning on it. So we weren't really uh, prepared as well as we should have been for the home and we ended up having to take money from our retirement accounts to contribute to the down payment on the home. And um, and it's just not something that I am I, and I blogged about this. It's a sore spot for me. I don't necessarily recommend it. Um, and I, it, but it was a learning lesson in preparedness and planning. And the thing is, you might think you have a goal that's four years away, but you have to think of the what ifs. If, what if it's two years away? Because we really could have been prepared if we had focused more on it being um, the possibility of a two year event instead of a four year event. So now, how are you making up for this? In some Make, ways, like making up for the retirement, yeah. Um, by contributing, you know, now that we, we're we've we've made up for for that in other ways and in, in our savings and things like that, but um, but we did have to pay a penalty because it was more than the ten percent that was allowable for first time home buyers. So we had a big tax bill. There were a lot of follow on issues that happened from that event, and I think um, you know we've since been making up for our withdrawals but I think you know what, what's more important is is that it helps me help my clients too so I always think you know bad things happen all the time to everybody and as long as you could take a bad situation and turn it into something good then it then it makes sense and so for me this is a bad situation is a bad financial lesson but now it helps me prevent my clients from from going through that 
And you, yeah, you can speak from experience. Mm-hmm. It happens to the best of us. Well, let's flip it. What is, in addition to scoring a nice investment for your business, what's a so money moment recently? I would have to say the so money moment was absolutely getting the money from my first investor. (laughs) (laughs) And, but what's funny is that that was, uh, that was such a great feeling. But on the flip side, leading up to that, I actually had a number of people tell me no. So I, um, I, I think it's really important to just to to keep pushing towards something that you believe in because I um, there were days and bad days I, I call them the crying in the showers days because oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like what have I done um, am I doing the right thing am I going the right way and and um, and you have those moments and I had those leading up to that but I just kept pushing through and um, and so it was it was a great day when that happened. What would you say for those listening is the best way to prepare for a meeting with an investor? Something that you perhaps didn't know going in, but you uh, you experienced it and you survived it, but it was not something that you would have necessarily thought to prepare. I think you need to really know yourself and your business better than anything. So if you've done a business plan or you've put financials together, you've done whatever, you need to study that like it's the the ultimate test of your life and you need to know everything that is in your business plan, everything you say, everything you're committed to, everything about your company um, because you never know when you have a first meeting where it's going to lead. And and actually this is exactly what happened. I had my investor ask me what some of my my thoughts were and they were still not concrete and fortunately because I know him I I, you know he was comfortable with me not having a completely concrete response but I realized if I didn't know him you know just how much more even though I was prepared how much more prepared I think you can never be over prepared for a meeting with an investor yeah it's a watch Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody said to me, they're like, oh, you should go on Shark Tank. And I said, the thing is, I would like to have more, not have sharks in the water for yeah. my company. I mean, I think it's a great idea, but it's kind of the same thing. I do. It is like that. You never know what you're going to be asked and, and how people are going to pick apart your idea and, and to just be prepared. Great. Great. Uh, well, as the founder of the financial gym, what's a good financial habit that you practice, that you tell your clients to practice, that necessarily leads to uh, financial well-being? I think that it's becoming mindful about your money. And whatever, I see the biggest issue with my clients not achieving their, their financial goals is a lack of mindfulness. And, and mindful of your money can happen in a number of different ways. So if you go food shopping and you don't know what the prices are at the food store, well, you're not mindful of your of your food budget. If you are going um, car shopping and you don't know car prices or interest rates or whatever is good for you, well, then you're not mindful about your auto decision. I think you really need to, to engage in and whatever, and I have different tasks and things and exercises that I have my clients do to make them more mindful. But I think, you know, when we actually kind of take our, when we stop kind of taking our, shutting our brains down, when we're making money choices and become more engaged in it, it, we start to have change in what we're doing. All right. Ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Oh yeah. All right, Shannon. <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, a hundred million dollars, the first thing I would do is 
Oh, this is so easy. I would set up a foundation for women business owners for um, to help women start up companies that, that are, were created by women. Excellent. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? It's another easy one. This is my cleaning lady, Marlene. I love Marlene. She's like a member of my family. She has been cleaning my home for seven years now. And and there's always a debate about paying money for, for services, but she um, saves so much of my personal time and I know what my time is worth by the hour. And so from a total, total return on, on what she does, it's, she's by far um, the best investment I make every two weeks. I concur. Love my cleaning lady. (laughs) My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot on is? Hmm. I I used to be a spendy McSpenzelot, I say. Um, But now I would say the biggest thing that I, that I spend money on is really other people. So I, um, I like taking we take people out to dinner. We host dinners at our house or things like that. So um, it's spending money on other people in an entertaining kind of way. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? To save, uh, save early and save um, in the right way. I think uh, this is something that, again, I have to work on with my clients. Is, and this is what happened, partly what happened with me with the home is, I was so focused on retirement, which is 50 years away. I wasn't thinking about near-term goals that I need that I would need the money for. And before making a retirement decision, I should have been thinking about what was happening sooner than later. And not to say not to save for retirement, but to be aware of some of the some of the obligations ahead of you sooner. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, when I advise clients, it's not that I say you know you're that we're never going to focus on retirement, but sometimes. You have to focus, you can't focus as much on retirement because you do have near-term goals. And I'd rather have my clients prepared for those near-term goals and, and, you know, and, and accomplish them than get into trouble because they, they weren't, um, they didn't know what was coming, weren't prepared for what was directly ahead of them. Yes, very true. Uh, when I donate money, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to smaller organizations where I know exactly how the money is being distributed and to know that there is a, that a large percentage of my donation is actually um, being redistributed. And there are websites that can help you with that. So I believe GuideStar and yes. uh, Charity... Hmm, Charity Navigator, I believe. Uh, but this because people are concerned about this very issue of, you know, giving money to a charity and then, well, what happens next? Do they put it all, do they just go and buy staplers with it or do they actually go, Or does it go to the yeah, CEO's the uh, paycheck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's a valid concern. And last but not least, I'm Shannon McClay, founder of The Financial Gym, and I'm so money because... Because I help other people get so money. <laughs> you do. And at a very affordable price, in a realistic way, we appreciate you so much, Shannon. And everyone, I'm giving away five free, Shannon, I should say, is giving away five free signed copies of her book to qualify 
head over to somoneypodcast.com, click on Shannon's blog, uh, podcast, and leave a comment for this episode, and we will uh, go ahead and, and choose five people from that, uh, from that participation. So, Shannon, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Everyone check out Shannon McClay, and uh, have a So Money week, Shannon. Thank you. You too. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Shannon, her blog is financially-blonde.com. She's also on Twitter at the Shannon McClay. All this info at somoneypodcast.com where you can also grab the transcript and comments. And there you can also send me a question. While you're at somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and there submit your question for me. And then I'll try to answer it on the weekends as I do every single Saturday and Sunday. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a chance to connect with me one-on-one for a free 15-minute money session, leave a review on iTunes. Then every Saturday at the top of the show, I pick one new reviewer, recent reviewer, to receive that free 15-minute money blitz with me. So thanks in advance if you're going to go do that. Hope to connect with you. And hope your day is so money, guys. <laughs>